That's what it says. All right, let me get this, and then, uh, okay, we're live, so let me pick this up, and you can go ahead and read whatever you're going to read. Okay. <laughs> Tent wall, outside, divide half. You are my portion, O Lord. I have promised to obey your words. I have sought your face with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. I have considered my ways and have turned my steps to your statutes. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. Though the wicked bind me with ropes, I will not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to give you thanks for your righteous laws. I am a friend to all who fear you, to all who follow your precepts. The earth is filled with your love, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. Okay. Let's see. Good Getting stuff. up at midnight to give thanks. Must be Sergio. It must be Sergio. <laughs> Waking up at midnight to get the stream going. Um, okay, let's see here. We have um, uh, the iPad again because we've had a buzzing sound with the uh, other stream. Oh, hang on. Before we do anything, I'm going to leave you all for just one second. So uh, I got to push a button over here just in case that goes down. We still have that. Okay, so right. there we go. And then, uh, uh, yeah, so we're back on the iPad, and somebody said last week that it wasn't angled enough and it was looking up my nose, so I apologize <laughs> about that. I put some books behind it, and you should be looking at my face now instead of something else. Uh, let's see here. <clears throat> we're in Galatians chapter 6, and we're going to be done with Galatians today, but before we get started, we have, um, uh, I'll announce this now, and then I'll say it again on um, uh, Sunday, Bible in 10, B-I-B-L-E-I-N-T-E-N.com. Okay, this is a podcast that uh, my friend Daniel in the UK started. He's uh, got seven, I think, eight podcasts up now. He started with Genesis 1-1. He's working up to Genesis, uh, what did I listen to today? I listened to two, and so I'm going to say the wrong one, but uh, they're outstanding. Okay, so I recommend that if you just want to supplement uh, it's 10 minutes or less each one that he does and I think he's going to do uh, number nine uh, Today and then get that posted as well But all you need to do is go to Bible in 10.com B-I-B-L-E-I-N-T-E-N.com listen to the first one, please if you like it I know you're going to want to just continue on so there you go That's a plug for him and then I'll do that again on uh, Sunday and today everybody knows Doug in Ireland who does the paintings for the uh, for the uh, sermons each week. Today is his, Doreen Doe's birthday. And there so we, we want to wish her a happy birthday to Doreen over in Ireland. And uh, I'm sure they're still awake. They're usually awake for the, uh, the uh, Bible classes. And so happy birthday to them. And uh, a couple prayer requests. I, wow, I didn't write them down. I've had very, very busy two weeks. I've had no time off, no free time at all. And so, uh, uh, Let's see here. There was something that I was going to include, and it's at home sitting on my desk. And anyway, I know that uh, Mark and Becky are once again sick out in Colorado, so we'll add them to, into our prayers. And uh, oh, well, I, I apologize. It's just been a really very, very busy couple weeks, and I've had no free time at all. So uh, let's just go. Oh, my brother had. Uh, how did that go? Do you have any report? Nothing yet. My brother had surgery on his eye for a detached retina, and we're waiting to hear about that he's got to put his head in one of those things and look down where the eye is kept in alignment so uh, we'll go ahead and go to the lord in prayer heavenly father we thank you for the chance to come into your presence and just to uh 
rejoice in your word and to share in it and to uh, uh, the book of Galatians has been just so wonderful, Lord. And we thank you for that. And we just ask that this uh, last class in the uh, the book would be something that would bless people. And then we'll be into Ephesians hopefully next week, or actually we would hope for the rapture. But if uh, that's delayed, con if that's continued to be put off, then we'll just be here in Ephesians. But uh, Lord, we uh, do pray for the people that we just mentioned, and we ask that you bless this class as well. And we certainly thank you for all the good blessings that you've blessed us with in our lives. And Lord, you are so good to us. And we love you and we praise you and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, let's see here. We have uh, Galatians 6, verse 15 is where we are today. And if I'm right, I think we have four more verses in the, the, the book. It yeah. may be more, but I think it's four. And uh, let me turn there and then we'll go ahead and Galatians 6. And where are we? Six and fifteen. Okay, you start wherever you want. Maybe back at eleven or something. Yeah, was, yeah right at the beginning of the thought process. But no, uh, this day in. Christian I completely history? forgot about it, and I'm not going to get up again. So okay, it's over there. It's too far to walk. So okay. we're just going to have to skip that today. There we go. Okay, see the large letters I use to write you with my own hand. Those who want to make good impressions outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. Mm. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Christ Jesus, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 15. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything which counts what counts is the, is a new creation. Okay, it's almost identical. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. Let's see here. Uh, 6.15, the words, for in Christ Jesus, are given to show that a change occurs when one receives Christ. Past distinctions are set aside, and there is a wholeness that all alike share in. To show that this is true in the highest sense, he continues with the words, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. He's already said this in a different manner by saying there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's you know, neither male nor female or slave or free, or he's going through these categories. And I'd like to remind you that um, uh, when it says there's no male or female, that does not mean that females are allowed to preach, okay? That's one of the things that happens is when people take a verse and they say, see, this is saying that everybody's the same in Jesus, and so these distinctions are set aside. That is incorrect, okay? Elsewhere in the epistles, it gives clarity on that. And to say that there is no Jew or no Greek in uh, the... Obviously, Jews are still Jews and Greeks are still Greeks. He's saying... In Christ, we positionally in Christ, we are all the same. There's no slave, there's no free, and yet Paul writes to uh, Philemon about Onesimus, who is a slave. slave. Okay, so obviously the differences remain, but the distinction does not. Okay, there's no distinction in Christ, but we still have our roles. Slaves are to remain slaves. If they are slaves, they're not to go trying to escape from their master, but to serve their master more willingly, etc. And it's important to keep saying this because. This is probably one of the most abused tenets that I find in Christianity that is e emailed to me. And if that's the case, then uh, it's something that people have in churches all over the place because I'm constantly being given this as a question. I got it last Sunday. I said it during the uh, 
service, and uh, we've had a couple conversations, this person and me, on that issue since then. And people need to understand that if Paul says somewhere that this is not allowed, then we don't do it, okay? You can't take this verse and say we're going to do this because this says when it doesn't say that at all, okay? There's, he, read it again. It says um, 15, uh, where, uh, oh, I'm got to turn the page circumcision here. nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. That's right. And when he says that circumcision or uncircumcision, neither of them avails anything, it means towards your status in Christ, okay? There's no distinction at all. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised or if you're uncircumcised. You are in exactly the same playing field, the same level in the playing field. But circumcision is still something that Jews practice. It's still a part of their culture. It's still something that identifies them 2,000 years after this was written as Jews. Jews. That's exactly right. And we are Gentiles, and we're not required to do that, although Gentiles do circumcise. circumcise. I know in America in particular, I don't know about the rest of the world, but it's a very common thing here for that to be done. And that does and not make us Jews. That does not make you a Jew by being circumcised. That's exactly right. So um, uh, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. Paul has used circumcision throughout this entire epistle as the benchmark for requirements for works of the law, okay? That is, if you, don't have, if you don't have circumcision in your life, then nothing else matters. You're not a Jew, and you were never a part of the law, okay? And that is his benchmark. If he is saying that circumcision doesn't avail anything, then that obviously means that the law is abrogated. It is annulled. It is set aside. It is obsolete. Okay, he's made that so abundantly clear so many times that it's hard to understand how people can't get that. But that is the benchmark that he is using. He could have used one of a, uh, 613 different precepts out of the law, but he picked the, the preeminent one, the one that first identifies you as a Jew, and then as a Jew, you are obviously under the law. Okay, and so and there would be one more that could almost be considered on the same level, which would be the Sabbath. But he didn't use that. He used circumcision because it's a physical identification of the race. Okay, The law was given to no group of people on this planet apart from Israel. Nobody. Okay, Only Israel had it, and now he's saying that that sign under the law has no bearing at all. Okay, It's the benchmark, in other words. If one is not circumcised, then there is no other thing that he can do under the law to be pleasing to God. That's it. Circumcision is the initial point of contact in this society. And once that initial point of contact is met, then everything else can fall into its place. If you're not circumcised, then you have no point of contact with the law at all. Zero. And, you know, that comes out typologically. We're going to see that uh, when we get to the end of the uh, book of Deuteronomy and right into the beginning of Joshua. If you know the story in Joshua, the people that were under punishment in the wilderness, none of the children that were born in the wilderness were circumcised. circumcised, okay? And that is a picture of the Jews in the world today without the law. They don't have the law because they don't have a temple. They were dispersed, and for 2,000 years, they have been as if uncircumcised. Their circumcision of the flesh means absolutely zero to the Lord, Okay. A Jew without Jesus Christ is no different than a Gentile without Jesus Christ. It is as if they are uncircumcised, and that is how it stands. And that's the picture that's being made when they come up to the promised land, and they it's called um, 
uh, Gibeah Ha'aroloth, I think, the hill of foreskins. And it's not a hill where they made the foreskins. It's a hill that was made of foreskins. Okay, so that's how many people were circumcised at that time. And the fact that they were in the desert and uncircumcised as the Gentiles, the, the, I think I'm talking loud enough, the, the connection through the man has not been, the picture hasn't been right. fulfilled. That's right. So that's, it, it, it is not fulfilled in the Jewish people until they come to Christ. And that's exactly the picture that we're seeing right there. So, uh, and people don't want to say that, you know, oh, the Jews are saved under the uh, Mosaic Covenant. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. That's John Hagee stuff. That's the RCC teaches that. There are other people that teach that. That's dual covenant theology. That is a heresy. The Jewish people that do not have Jesus Christ are as far from God as anybody else on this planet that doesn't have Jesus Christ. There is no back door for them. There's no secret initiation. There's no elevation in their status. They are not a part of what God is doing until they come to Christ. End of that story. Okay, however, in Christ, who fulfilled the law, this preeminent distinction, circumcision, is utterly swept away. This is such an important point that he has stated in similar terms in both Galatians 5, 6. I'll take you back there right here. It says... For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. And he also said it back in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 19. And this is a really important verse to uh, consider. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 19. He says, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Okay, here's a question for you, ABC. Was circumcision a commandment of the law of Moses? No. no. Yes, absolutely it was. It's in the book of Leviticus. First it came before the law it was given, right. as uh, Jesus even uh, noted it. He said, Moses gave you circumcision, and then he qualified what he said by saying, it wasn't Moses who gave it, it was Abraham, but then it was codified in the law. Right, right. In the book of Leviticus, it is a requirement mm -hmm. of the law. So the answer is yes, it is a part of the law of Moses. And yet, Paul says here, I'll read it again, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. If he says that and circumcision was a part of the law of Moses, then guess what? He cannot be talking about the law of Moses, right? When he says keeping the commandments of God is what matters, he's speaking about something other than the law of Moses. In other words, he's speaking about the new covenant in Christ. Whatever the new covenant says we are to do, that is what we are to do. Everybody understand the premise there? He says keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Circumcision was a commandment under the law of Moses. Therefore, the law of Moses is not keeping the commandments of God that Paul is speaking about. Okay, and um, uh, well, I'm not going to do it because I don't have the iPad is being used. So I was going to get you that verse from Leviticus so that you could see it where it says that Every male shall be circumcised on the... Just type in the word circumcision. You'll find it under the book of Leviticus. And when you find it, uh, let me know and you can read it out real loud. And that way uh, uh, we can give them the verse and they can write that down next to 1 Corinthians 7 verse 19 so that you can refer to that. Um, as a matter of fact, if you find that, then I'll add it into my own thing as well because it would be good to have that as a reference. And while you're looking for that... Just type in the word circumcise and look under the book of Leviticus and you will find it. Um, so it's uh, similar in Galatians 5, 6 and 1 Corinthians 7, 19. We are now identified 
not with an external mark upon our body, but with the internal sealing of the Holy Spirit. That is the circumcision of the heart. That's what Paul refers to in Romans 2. It's what Moses referred to in, uh, I think, twice in the book of Deuteronomy. You must circumcise your heart. And then Jeremiah also refers to circumcision of the heart. Paul refers to it specifically in the New Testament as well. Like I said, I think it's Romans chapter 2. That is the Holy Spirit is our mark of circumcision. It is our circumcision of the heart. Okay, being in Christ, in Christ comes by faith in him. It does not come by circumcision. This is the thought of Romans 10 verse 9, which we I could just quote to you, but rather I'll read it to you because I always misquote things and I don't want to do that. Romans 10 9 says, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It says nothing about circumcision there. There is no way that you can insert the law of Moses or circumcision into what Paul of, what Paul writes about and come out unscathed. It is no impossible. Luck. What? No, uh, you can't find the word C-I-R-C-U-M because it might be circumcision. It might be circumcised. Just type in C-I-R-C-U-M. Just don't go the whole word and then uh, look up Leviticus and you'll find it. It'll be there. Don't type in the whole word, though, because the word ends, you know, differently depending on how it's typed. But I'm sure you'll find it. Anyway, or somebody might find it and they can post it on the uh, iPad. Uh, and maybe I'll see it when I look at it. Anyway, um, this is the thought. And, you know, it might not be in... Circumcision. Did you find it? Uh, look at Circumcision 12.3. You mean Leviticus 12.3? I mean Leviticus That would That would help, yes. Um, there is no book of circumcision in the Bible. <laughs> anyway, uh, they cut that out. There it is. Read it out loud, real loud. Every male child was to be circumcised when eight days old, on pain of death. There you go. So that's Leviticus 12, verse 3. Okay? So there you go with that. And so now I can write that in, and I'll never have to ask my mom or anybody else again. 1 Corinthians <laughs> 7, verse 9, I think is what I said here. Was that correct? One circumcision. Uh, no. What? 719. 719. Okay, there you go. I'm going to write that down, then we'll get back into the class. I just don't want to forget that. And uh, it's Leviticus, uh, what did you say? 12.3. L-E-V-I-T-I-C-U-S 12.3. Okay, so we got that there. And that way, it's, it's uh, something that people can, they can process a little better. By having the reference to the Old Testament, Paul is not speaking about the law of Moses when he says, keep the commandments of God. Okay, um, Romans 10, 9, I just read that. When we believe we are saved, at that moment, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit according to, where's the verse where it says that? The moment that you believe, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the guarantee. What? Ephesians. That's right, 1, 13 and 14. Exactly. Which we'll be coming to. Yeah, we're going to be there. Oh, my goodness. Well, we won't get to that verse next week probably, but let's see here. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation doesn't say anything about the law of Moses, in whom also, having believed in him, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. D deal done. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance, so much for loss of salvation, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Not our glory, to the praise of his glory. You cannot lose your salvation. Anybody that teaches you that is teaching you something that is a false teaching. And it, uh, depending on how it's taught, it would equate to a heresy. But I won't go that far without explaining that further, and we'll do that at some point. But salvation is eternal. Understand that. This is our baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
It is a one-time occurrence upon belief in Christ. There is no second baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues and doing all those things that charismatics like to talk about. And the way they justified that is by what Jesus did when he breathed on the apostles and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then later, they got the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And they say, see, there's a second birth of the Spirit. That is not what Jesus was doing there. He was showing them that he is the one that gives the Holy Spirit. Just as a prophet in the old days would do a thing that would then be confirmed by the sign that he gave, that's what Jesus was doing, okay? He wasn't saying that I am now filling you with the Spirit. He was saying that you will receive the Holy Spirit. And breathing on them was a, a uh, basically an Old Testament prophet's tool of conveying that truth to them. Anyway, um, uh, let's see here. From that moment, from the moment that we believe and we receive the Holy Spirit, we are a new creation. God positionally sets us in the heavenly places at that moment, okay? As is noted in, does anybody know where that is? Ephesians. Ephesians, yes, what? It's right before, no, no, you're close. Back up one chapter and try again. Two. Two. Oh, good job. Hey, Burke got it. It's Ephesians 2, 6. Uh, we're going to read that. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, meaning that we were unregenerate people, okay, he made us alive together with Christ. Okay, that was when you believed. That's what he was writing about already earlier in Ephesians. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We're going to start out the sermon on Sunday talking about grace. Okay, somebody emailed me and asked me to talk about grace. And so that's what we're going to do as our introduction into Sunday's passage, which is Deuteronomy 13, 6 through 18. Okay, and when we do, we're just going to open with a little bit of a talk on it. And you'll understand it's rather short talk, but it could go on forever. And you'll understand that when I send it to you. But... Um, or when I give it to you, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, here it is, and raised us up, it's done, it's past tense, together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, so here we are. We're all in this physical world. We're doing things that we wish we wouldn't do at times. We get angry, we get whatever, and we struggle with our, our situation, with our health, with all of the things, and yet Paul says that he has raised us up and seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. One that can never change. That is our position, and it is guaranteed to us, but that's how God already sees us, is in that position. So when you're worried about the things of the world, and you're worried about your health and about you know your finances or whatever terrible things are coming down the pike with the democrat-led congress which is going to start destroying us more and more in the months ahead when you see these things happening say this isn't my home anyway i i have a much better hope and i'm already there in god's mind and don't let these things bring you down because they will otherwise if you focus on this world you are going to be down because of this world if you focus on what christ has done you are going to remain at a high even in your despair okay i don't want to take away the fact that we have despair i mean i do i know we all do but when we keep our mind where it's supposed to be it alleviates that from our hearts and our burdens okay so there you go with that he has seated us in the heavenly places in christ jesus um showing that shows us that salvation is a done deal in god's mind it is done 
Once again, right there is another note of the doctrine of eternal salvation. Once saved, always saved. Okay, we had somebody that had to talk to some family members that's here today this past week because they were under the impression you could lose their salvation and they were under a burden. They were under an actual burden because of that. They're getting older in life and they don't have any you know, assurance of salvation. What kind of a life is that? That's not what the Bible teaches ever. But that's what pastors teach so that they can keep you in bondage, keep you coming back, and you will keep giving them your money and doing all of the things that people will do in order to hope a little more that they will be going to heaven. When, in fact, if they put their trust in Christ, it's already done in God's mind. Okay, so um, the concept of eternal salvation permeates Scripture. Verses such as 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 when looked at objectively, can mean nothing other than this. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. I don't even remember why I quoted that. but Well, that's the guy who had done the worst possible... No, no, no. That's 1 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 is... Uh, let's see here. Oh, yeah. For we walk by faith and not by sight. All right? So, um, when looked at objectively, can mean nothing other than this. To assume that we are a new creation and yet could suddenly become unsaved is unfathomable. That's just the way it is. Now, what I'm going to do, I want to check something out here really quickly. I want to go, um, let's see here. Um, now, okay, let's see. All right, well, that'll be fine. We'll worry about that later. Um, we are a new creation because God in us has made all things new. The old has passed away, the new has come, and it is all a work of Jesus Christ. It's not our work anyway, so why would we worry about it? He's done all of the work. He said that I will carry you through. And once again, if you just look at Israel, not the individual Israelite, but at Israel, God made a covenant with Israel, okay? He said that he will preserve them until the end. He even says it in the, the chapter where he de details the punishments of Israel, going through all the punishments that they're going to suffer if they don't pay heed to the Lord. And yet at the very end of it, he appeals first to the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them the assurance that they are his people. And then right after that, in almost the same breath, he appeals to the Mosaic Covenant, saying, in a long, long time away, looking back, I will never, ever reject this people. If you read Leviticus 26, the last couple paragraphs of it, you, you can come to no other conclusion that God will never reject the people of Israel because he did what with them? He covenanted, that's right. He covenanted with them. Well, now he has made the new covenant in his in Christ's blood, okay? If he has done that, and we individually come to God through that covenant, and now obviously it does say in Jeremiah that it's to the house of Israel and it's to the house of Judah, but individually when we come to him in that capacity, he is going to keep his side of the covenant regardless of what we do regardless of it, just as he did with Israel, who has rejected him since the very beginning. Moments after they were given that covenant, they were breaking it. And they broke it all the way through the Old Testament. They were exiled once, brought back, continued to do it. And what did they do? They nailed the Lord to the cross, okay, along with the Romans, and yet he is still faithful to them. That's how adamant the Lord is about keeping his part of a covenant. So when people tell you, well, you can't be saved because... They don't understand the word grace. They do not understand grace. Okay, what's we'll talk the, about that Sunday. What's the term that the, the King James Version uses for covenant in the New Testament? Well, they, the King James Version and some other versions make the error of saying testament instead of covenant. 
okay? They, they mix it. A testament is one thing, a covenant is another. And sometimes they will say the New Testament when they're referring to the New Covenant, okay? That is a mistake that you want to be careful about. Mm -hmm. The testament, this is a testament This from uh, Genesis through Malachi that testifies to God's working in Christ. It's not a covenant. There are covenants in there. There's all kinds of covenants. You got the you know, the Adamic covenant, and you've got the Abrahamic covenant, and the Noah covenant, and you've got all these different covenant it, covenants in there, but it is a testament. And then from Matthew until Revelation, that is a testament. This is a testament of what God is doing, okay? That's different than a covenant, okay? So, and that's where you will find Bible translations that will make that error, mm -hmm. saying testament when they should say covenant. And, you know, I'm sure if you go back and read a lot of my old writings, you'll find that I did it too. You know, you, you learn as you go. I don't know that. I'm just saying that it's it's a mistake that people make. But when it's in a Bible translation, it's a really yeah. bad mistake because yeah. they are supposed to be translating properly. And when they improperly translate it, like the King James Version did, and some others, I'm not picking on them alone, it causes a problem in people's theology. Yes. There, there's a misunderstanding of what's going on. But, so, you know, King James only people will use that to say that the Jews are under a different well covenant that's right than us. they'll they'll use that in, mm -hmm. incorrectly by the right. way they will right. use that incorrectly uh, because they have bad information they've got bad information in the translation and so then what they believe is now bad believing about the Jews they're under a different testament okay incorrect okay it's, it's just it, it's a problem so it needs to be properly translated right. anyway life application if Paul says that being circumcised or being uncircumcised has no bearing on who we are in Christ, and as circumcision is the preeminent sign of acceptance into the terms of the law of Moses, then it means that the law of Moses in its entirety is of no effect for those in Christ. If you are still adhering to precepts of the law, you are estranged from Christ. That's how serious that is. Paul has said that in the book of Galatians. I'm repeating it now. If you do that, you are estranged from Christ. You want to keep away from the precepts of the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, okay? So, and as Paul says elsewhere in Galatians, you are a debtor now to the entire law. Put away your silly attempts at finding righteousness through self and put on Christ wholly and completely, okay? Um, before we get into the next verse, I look down and I see I'm making, what is this, the white power symbol oh, or something? Stop. You know, it just, you know, I'm sure somebody's going to get a screenshot of me doing that and they're going to say, see, he's, listen, I've been doing this my whole life. You know what this means? It means okay. Or you're just talking. And or I'm just talking and this is, you know, it feels good. Or I could do this or I could do that or whatever. So if anybody makes a screenshot and sends that to me, I'm going to ban them from Facebook. Wait, I'm not on Facebook. Never mind. Okay. Um, 616, go ahead. Peace and mercy. To all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Oh boy, this one gets, oh, I'm telling you, this is a verse stab. that people love to abuse. <laughs> all right. And as many as walk according to this rule, is speaking of the rule he has just laid out concerning circumcision. It is a practice which avails nothing concerning our righteousness before God. As circumcision is the benchmark for speaking of the corporate body of laws known as the law of Moses, it means that Paul is speaking of those who hold to the grace of Christ alone, apart from deeds of the law for a right standing before God. That is the only people he is speaking to, and he's speaking to nobody else. The word for rule here is kanon. Anybody know where that word? Canon. Canon, that's right, canon. It was used 
for a summary of Orthodox Christian doctrine in the early church. It's consensual theology called the rule, meaning the canon of truth or the rule of faith, uh, which they say in, uh, I, I guess that's maybe Latin, regula fide. Maybe Latin. Anyway, this is I'm reading Help's word studies here. This represented the core theological convictions prevailing in the local churches in the post-apostolic era, especially from A.D. 100 on. Yes, that's Help's word studies. It is now known, uh, I'm sorry, it is now what is thought of as the doctrine to be found in Scripture, which is the rule and canon for our doctrine. So the word rule that Paul is using here is canon that leads into what we call the canon of Scripture. We have how many books in Scripture? 66. How many in the Old Testament? 39. New Testament? 27. There you go. That is our canon. Nothing else. The book of Enoch is not canon. The Apocrypha is not canon. Enoch is actually a pseudepigraphal book. It's not even a, a, in a, um, what do you call it, A um, one of the... Uh, what did I do? The Apocrypha. It's okay. Pseudepigraphal means a false writing. Okay. People hold on to it because it's very uh, intriguing to read. And don't get me wrong, I've read it and it's very, very fun to read. It's kind of like one of these uh, angelic things. You're getting into the mind of what goes on in the heavenly realm and all that. But it's a false writing. Okay. The only people that hold to it as doctrine, and there are some sects that do that, but the only ones that do that want to, to justify certain doctrines which are not biblical. Okay. Other than that, it is referred to um, a couple times, I think at least once by Jude, maybe one more time in the New Testament. That does not make it canon. Okay. There are all kinds of things that are referred to in the New Testament that have nothing to do with Scripture. Paul cites the Greek philosophers three or four times, Epimenides and some other ones. That doesn't mean they're inspired. It means that Paul's words are inspired using their words. Okay. Anyway, little diversion there, but Let's see here, it is to such as these that Paul petitions peace and mercy be upon them. These are terms used elsewhere by Paul to indicate a sense of wholeness, both internally and externally, concerning life, spiritual contentment, and the blessed hope of redemption through Jesus Christ. Following this come some of the most misunderstood or twisted words in the New Testament. They say, and upon the Israel of God. Charles Ellicott incorrectly states in part, listen to what he says and know that it's wrong before I read it, the benediction is addressed not to two distinct sets of persons, those who walk by this rule and the Israel of God, but to the same set of persons described in different ways, and is therefore equivalent to namely, yea, upon the Israel of God. By the Israel of God, here it is, it is here meant spiritual Israel. Not converts from Judaism alone, but all who prove their real affinity to Abraham by a faith like Abraham's. He's saying that spiritual Israel is the Israel of God. Ellicott has mixed apples and oranges here. He is correct in some aspects, but then faulty in others. Vincent's word studies says the K, the word and, may be simply collective in which case the Israel of God may be different from as many as walk. So he's saying that it, what Ellicott says may not be correct, and so on, and may mean truly converted Jews, or the K may be explicative, 
in which case the Israel of God will define and emphasize as many as, and so on, and will mean the whole body of Christians, Jews and Gentiles, or he actually says Jewish and Gentile. In other words, they who walk according to this rule form the true Israel of God. The explicative K and is at best doubtful here and is rather forced although clear instances of it may be found in 1 Corinthians 3, 5, 1 Corinthians 15, 38. It seems better to regard it as a simple connective than O.C., which is the word many, will refer to the individual Christians, Jewish and Gentile, and Israel of God to the same Christians, regarded collectively and forming the true Messianic community. I know that's a lot of information, but these people know the Greek very well, but you don't just want to know the Greek or the Hebrew. You want to know the Bible. Right. That's what's important is knowing everything in the context in which the Bible gives something. Vincent's is correct, correct up until the last sentence where he, like Ellicott, unites Jews and Gentiles under the umbrella of Israel, thus making Israel a spiritual entity formed from the two. Peter, I'm sorry, Paul, how many times does Paul equate the Gentiles with Israel? How many times Zero. does he do it? How many? Never. This many. Wait, and that is, do not, that. that is not Stop a white power that. symbol. This is the number zero. That's how many times Paul equates the Gentiles with Israel in any way, shape, or form. When Paul speaks of Israel, he always speaks of the Muslims. No, he doesn't speak of the Muslims. He speaks of Israel, the people, the nation of Israel, the group of people, Israel. That's the only thing he ever refers to when he writes about Israel, okay? Rather, when he speaks of the Gentiles, he calls them under the collective father of the faith, Abraham. When Paul wants to make a grouping of Jews and Gentiles, he always defers to the patriarch Abraham, because Abraham was the one who received the, begins with a P and ends with Ramos. Anybody? Promise. The promise. Abraham, Genesis 15, 6, is the promise, and we are sons of Abraham by faith. He always defaults to that when he talks about Gentiles, always. He never, ever speaks of the Gentiles being Israel, ever, okay? So, when he speaks of the Gentiles, he calls them under the collective father of the faith, Abraham. However, Israel is always considered separately from the Gentiles. Therefore, the first clause is speaking of all who follow the practice as is laid out by Paul in this letter. Jew and Gentile who reject the false teachings of the Judaizers. The second clause, speaking of the Israel of God, specifically refers to those Jews of the stock of Israel who have followed this truth. They are the true Israel who have left the deeds of the law behind, which is the whole point of this epistle. The people that come into this body of the Galatians and tell them that you must observe the law of Moses, you must be circumcised, etc., are the people he has been speaking about in the negative. Now he is bringing the people that are not like them of Israel in the positive. That is the context of what Paul is writing about. He is never, ever speaking of Gentiles as Israel. He never includes them in Israel because he's already included them under Abraham. Everybody got that? That is where our promise goes back to. There is nothing of Israel, nothing of Israel that is extended to the Gentiles. This much, okay, that much, zero, okay? It always defers back to Abraham. 
he is speaking about the people of Israel either in a negative or a positive sense and he is closing out the epistle with those in the positive sense read it again the second clause speaking of the Israel of God specifically refers to those Jews of the stock of Israel who have followed this truth that he's been writing about they are the true Israel who have left deeds of the law behind and have pursued righteousness through Christ alone something that the Galatians had already done they had no need to be called the Israel of God because they were already believers in Christ by faith, the faith of Abraham. Mm -hmm. And so now he needs to re-include those brothers of his that are like him in the faith. And that is what he is doing. I hope that you'll remember that. If anybody ever argues with that, at least remember this precept because you're going to have this when you start getting into the, the debates about Israel, who they are and are we somehow at spiritual Israel. They will always pull this out, and they will always use that, and you're going to be standing there going, because you don't remember. Don't do that. Remember what I just said. We fall under Abraham. There's no need for us to be included in Israel, and in fact, he never does include us in Israel. Instead, he is making a contradistinction to the people he's been arguing against for six chapters now. He is now including himself along with those brothers of his that are the true Israel of God, okay? They, the words, they are set in contrast to the Judaizers who have not come to Christ. Yeah, those in Christ, those who have not come to Christ. Life application. The church did not replace Israel. And this verse cannot be used to substantiate that teaching, even though it is a thousand times over every day and on Saturday twice. Rather, it shows that Israel is Israel. But there is only a portion of Israel, meaning a remnant, which he speaks about in the book of Romans when he cites uh, the account of Elijah. You know, I've reserved 7,000 uh, to me who have not bowed the knee to, knee to Baal. Okay? He refers to that, and then he says, and so it is in our time. There are Jews, and there will always be Jews until the end of this dispensation that believe. And, you know, one of the things, I bring it up from time to time, is because I sat in the room with him many times, and he would bring this point up again and again and again, is Zola Levitt, before he died, I went to Israel with him on one of his tours, and I saw him a couple times here in the U.S., and uh, he would say, when he would go into a church, or he would go into a, uh, uh, you know, a meeting where people were just gathering to hear his, you know, his uh, presentation, and every time that he would, he'd ask a question, are there any Jews in the congregation today. And he said, always, I would get one or two or three percent of the people that would raise their hand and say, well, my mother's a Jew or my grandmother's a Jew, so I guess I'm somehow connected in there. And that's what Paul was writing about. God is reserving a remnant all the way throughout all of church history. There's never a time that Jews are not included in that. And guess who they are? They are the Israel of God. Set in contrast to the, the Gentiles who are already saved by grace through faith. So they don't need to have any special distinction, unlike Jews who have to have it because the Jews are already circumcised. What is it that's going to set them apart from the other Jews? Is their faith in Christ. They are the Israel of God. Okay, um, It shows that Israel is Israel, but there is only a portion of Israel, a remnant. Romans 9.27 and Romans 11.5 that is in a right standing with God. We have time, yes, I'm going to go to Romans 9, and we'll read that really quickly. And if you want to understand what Paul is speaking about in Romans 9 through 11, go back and watch the superior word, 
videos on Romans or go back and read the written commentary and you'll understand. But seven, it says, nor are they all children, speaking of Israel, because they are all the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called. He's speaking about non-believing Jews, Jews that are not called of God. They are not of the Israel of God. Yes, they are of Israel, but not the Israel of God. Okay, and then in Romans 11:5, he says, even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. What is grace? It's getting what you don't deserve, and it's getting it without any conditions added in. Zero. If there's a condition, something you must do other than believe, receive, grace. then it's not grace. That's right. If God says you got to do this, this, or this, or you're not doing this, this, or this, and therefore, then it's not grace. Okay? Grace is unmerited favor. Okay? That is, and that's your life application. All right, so we're in, yes. Okay, 617. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Okay, let me see. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Okay, so there's a little bit of a difference there. Uh, let's see here. The words from now on are in the genitive case. Thus, they are a temporal statement, meaning at any time in the future, as distinguished from throughout the future. That's Vincent's word study said that. Paul had obviously been troubled concerning his apostleship, possibly having been accused of not being a true apostle. Okay, this is the kind of thing Paul had to deal with all the time. Okay, or he may have been accused of not fulfilling his duties as an apostle. For one of these reasons, or for some other that I didn't think through, he now defends himself against this. It is a one-time statement to cover any future accusation against him. Let me read it again. It says, from now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Now, he wrote that, and he still got trouble until the day that he was finally martyred, okay? But here we are. We're 2,000 years later, almost 2,000 full years later, and he is still being troubled. Sure. Paul is the most maligned person that you will come across probably in all of Scripture. Not mm -hmm. Jesus. You know, obviously, Jesus is on the world stage. I'm talking about within people that claim that they are within Christianity. They can't deny Jesus because if they do, then they're not you know, somehow under the blanket of Christianity. But who is it that everybody picks on when they don't know proper theology? It's the Apostle Paul. Okay, So I'm talking about within the scope of what would be considered under the Christian umbrella, whether they're Christian or not. Paul is maligned almost every step of the way. The Jews, okay. too. They, oh, by the Jews, they, they eat like him alive. That's right. And you know what? The funny thing is that, like Peter and Paul together, most Jews don't realize that they were Jews. They think that Paul and Peter were Gentiles. Hmm. And when you tell them, no, these guys are Jews, and they lived as Jews and read their writings, all of a sudden they start saying, what? I mean, they, they can't believe it because they, uh, you know what, a lot of Jews, this is this is not an uncommon teaching. You listen to uh, Israel, uh, One for Israel radio, and the people give their testimony to three, four times a day, you'll hear it, okay? A very common teaching among Jews that they will say, I grew up and I was taught that Jesus was a Catholic. Right. That, right. I mean, they don't know anything about what they're maligning. They're just maligning it because that's what they have had trained into them. If they know that Jesus is supposedly a Jew and the Messiah, they reject that because of the Gentiles, Peter and Paul, that wrote the New Testament that are co-opting their faith. 
So don't don't brush it aside and say that, you know, these people know what they're talking about. They don't have a clue what they're talking about. Or some of them may. You know, the rabbis, they probably know who these people really are, but they don't want their yeah. congregation to know. Because once their congregation knows, then they start turning into one for Israel Jews and giving testimony saying that this is the Messiah. And they don't want to hear that. So be careful when you talk to a Jew to be... Uh, uh, you know, corrective about what they think they know. They don't think anything what is actually the case, okay? And that's an important thing for them to know. Okay, we'll go on. He may have been accused of not fulfilling his duties as an apostle. Okay, in his defense, he says, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. The word marks here, anybody know what it is? Stripes on his back? Well, no, the Greek word. It's a, oh. They made a movie out of this word, and everybody freaked out, and they started thinking that, you know, this is a real thing, stigmata. Okay, anybody remember that movie where people yeah. suddenly start having, they start bleeding, and they, they're, you know, they're, they, they start, stigmata is the movie would be like somebody believes in Jesus so much that they start bleeding right. in their palms, okay. or they start, you know, and so people watch this Hollywood movie and they start thinking that this is reality. Okay, it's a Hollywood movie, people. Anyway, um, it's the word, this is where they got that word. For I bear in my body the stigmata. It refers especially to a brand or mark burned into the skin. Slaves, like animals, were branded to show who they belonged to. Further, Albert Barnes notes that it applied to devotees to an idol god sometimes caused to be impressed on themselves the name or image of the divinity which they adored. If you want to see this, go to Malaysia where there's a lot of Indians. I've never been to India. Hidako has. But this is Hindus will do that a lot. They'll put marks on their bodies, you know, stigmata. This is the god I serve, etc. Okay? These stigmata were the proof of ownership by another. Paul's many scars and tears, uh, tears of his flesh proved that he was owned by Christ, okay? His apostleship showed what he had suffered for Christ and indeed what he was willing to suffer for him. They were an ever-present reminder to him and an ever-visible witness for others to see and to know what he was willing to endure for his master. These marks then are set in contrast to the mark of circumcision, which the Judaizers and false teachers held in such high regard. Everybody see what Paul is doing once again? He's been denying that these people have any good marks on him, and that's what they're boasting in is this circumcision. This is my stigmata to my Lord. I'm circumcised, and therefore I am righteous. And they completely miss the fact that that means nothing about righteousness. It's a sign of something else, and it's very clearly indicated that way in their own writings. But now Paul is saying that circumcision means nothing. That circumcision is not my stigmata. My stigmata is the bruises and the tears and the wounds that I have suffered for Jesus Christ. Okay? That's what he's saying. They glorified in the cutting of their flesh as a sign of adherence to the law of Moses. But Paul was filled with the afflictions of Christ as a sign of his complete allegiance to him. Those people didn't want to suffer for Christ. They wanted other people to suffer for Christ, but not for Christ really, but for their own glorying in what they had achieved in them. Remember what he said just a few verses back? They want to control you, but not for good. They want you to be a mark of their apostleship, even though they're not apostles. Okay? That's Charlie Garrett paraphrase. He's 
Okay, just so you know, that's not quoting a verse there. These marks are then set in contrast to the mark of circumcision. They glorified in cutting of their flesh as a sign of adherence to the law of Moses. But Paul was filled with the afflictions of Christ as a sign of his complete allegiance to him. As agreeable an honor it was for him to bear these marks, so it was equally disagreeable to him that those in opposition boasted in any other way. For Paul, he was wholly devoted to Christ, and the cross was where his boast lay. What Christ did for him was sufficient to keep him enduring worldly afflictions and abasements. Okay? Let me get down to, yes. Let me make sure I'm on the right page here. It is a sad, it is sad that the term stigmata has been used in such a negative way since this epistle was written. Here it is. This is what I was talking about. I had forgotten I had written this. St. Francis of Assisi supposedly went through such spiritual anguish that the actual marks of Christ's passion imprinted themselves on his own body. Okay, And this is possible. If you think about something enough, it can actually happen. You can start bleeding out of your forehead. Okay, They know there's a, a, a what is it called, um, a medical condition that they, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of it. Anyway, where when you are passionate about something enough, you can start having your own backaches like your idle backache, or you can start having your own wounds that people have. Okay, And St. Francis of Assisi, maybe he bled out of his hands, but it wasn't because Christ was showing through him. It was because he was psychotic and he was having these things happen because his mind made it occur, okay? And so it's sad that people allow these things to say, what a great holy man of God he is because he's bleeding out of his hands. That doesn't prove anything, okay? We'll go back. This is a far different thing than what Paul is speaking of. He went out and he suffered for the sake of Christ, receiving his marks in the mission field. People who claim they have had or received a spiritual imprinting of Christ's actual sufferings may have done nothing at all for him in this regard. Zero. There can be no comparison between that which Paul suffered for his master and the marks of a supposedly super spiritual person who had started to bleed in his hands and feet because of an inner mental suffering. Once again, I'm not diminishing. I don't know anything about St. Francis of Assisi. He may have been a great guy. I have no idea. All I know is that if he had a stigmata, as he claimed, it wasn't what Paul is writing about. Paul was writing about an actual abuse by other people because he was willing to go out and suffer for Christ. He's not talking about, oh, these things showed up on my hands because I was stressed and, and Christ started to bleed through me or something. I'm sorry, that's just not the way it happens. His okay. best quote was, um, preach the gospel endlessly, and if necessary, use words. Use words. So that was Assisi who said that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've actually had people that will, they'll get angry when you say that. And what Jim just said, if you didn't hear him, is uh, St. Francis of Assisi apparently is the person that said, preach the gospel as often as necessary, and when necessary, use words. Is that it? And if okay. necessary. Okay. And only when necessary. And only when necessary, use words. Okay, and I've had people actually get angry about that and say, that's a cop-out. I'm not kidding. I've had people say this. That's a cop-out. That you are just, you're not going to open your mouth and speak the gospel to people. That is not what St. Francis Assisi was trying to convey, nor is it what anybody that quotes that is saying. They're saying that you should live your life so well that people, when they see you, should say, what is it about that guy that I want to know is special about him? Okay? And here's an example. I'm at 7-Eleven every day, and I say this from time to time, and I'm out there picking up stuff, and I'm smiling. I'm always happy, okay? All right? 
And I don't have time to stop and evangelize every single person that walks in and out of those doors, okay? And yet I try, you know, failingly, but I try to reflect Christ. And then eventually, after three weeks of coming every single day and seeing me there, they say, you're always happy. What's your deal? And then I can stop and I can tell them about Jesus, okay? And that's the point that Francis Assisi was making. That's the point that Jim is conveying and the Rick just backed up. Do not take your pet peeves about your own insecurities and push them on other people. If somebody is living as a Christian, it ought to be evident to the whole world, and then they will want to come and find out why, okay? Don't pick on people because they quote saying, and especially because what? The guy was probably a Catholic. I'm a, yeah, I think okay, there you go. Everything Catholic is bad. I'm not going to listen to what that person says. That is a fault in reasoning, right. okay? That's known as a fallacy, all right? St. Thomas Aquinas was the greatest Christian philosopher in our history, in 2,000 years of Christian history. He was the greatest, and he was in the Catholic Church, okay? If you don't like that, you're never going to read his writings, and you're never going to learn anything about what actually matters concerning Christian philosophy, because you're not going to find it anywhere else unless they've taken his work and copied it and just taught it in a different way, okay? So you got to be really careful not to malign people just because of one thing or another. If somebody says something that's true, let it go. Okay, I'm glad you brought that up because that's a pet peeve of mine. When I hear you say that and then somebody will come up and say, well, you hear what Jim said? That's a real cop-out. I'm like, you know, I have to correct him. What are you talking about? So you're not going to live a holy life in the presence of the Lord? Okay, so then nobody's going to want to talk to you. Right. You're going to get no chance to talk to him about Jesus because you're living like a slob. Whatever. I have okay. to use words because... You have to use words. <laughs> Nobody would say, oh, look at him. He look at him. No, you, you know, we just don't get enough time sometimes. Yeah. You know, you just don't have enough interaction with people. And so all they have is what they see in you right. really shortly. Mm -hmm. One day every week for three weeks. And all of a sudden they just, they want to know, why are you happy every day? Okay. Well, it's because... I don't know, whatever. I was going to make a joke, and I couldn't think of one. Anyway, okay, here we are. Um, uh, I may have read this, and I may not have. Paul has set the standard, which many throughout the ages have been willing to follow. He was willing to physically suffer at the hands of others for his devotion to Christ. How far are we willing to go for our Lord and Master? Because it may, in the near future, become something we have to actually do instead of living and going to church on Sundays and that's all we ever do and then watch Les Feldick on TV during the week and maybe, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? We, we're in these little boxes of theology and it's great. Don't get me wrong. We've had a very good run of it in America. But things are going to change and they're going to change really quickly, probably. I'm not saying that definitely, but I'm telling you, we've got evil forces at work right now and we may have to be willing to, as it says, each of us must resolve this and be willing to stand by it should the time come mm -hmm. and if indications are then they're coming really quickly all right okay 618 last one of the it last is. one I last am, verse of the the whole book i'm taking a deep breath here the grace of our lord jesus christ be with your spirit brothers amen okay this one is completely different there we go it starts with brethren instead of having it at the end brethren the grace of our lord jesus christ be with your spirit amen see how different yeah, no, just reshuffled deck. Yeah, they reshuffled deck. That's right. Okay, you know, people will get so. I I won't get into it right now. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna let that taint the uh, final verse. Yeah. Okay, this final greeting is extremely similar to that of the closing of the book of Philemon. There is a difference though in Paul's use of the word brethren, which he adds here. Excuse me, and 
what is unfortunately ignored by the King James Version and the New King James Version is the fact that the word is at the end of the greeting, not the beginning. So yours is correct and the, this one is wrong. It comes just prior to the word, amen. Placing it there is not without purpose. Instead, it is a final note of fellowship to the people who he so cherished and to whom his heart and affections were directed. Remember at the beginning of this epistle, he was very short, he was very curt, and he was almost angry as he was going through the first few verses, getting down to verses six through eight, where he says, if anybody does this, let it be anathema. And then he turns around and he repeats it in this determined manner, okay? And here, what is he doing at the very end of the book and even the very last word before closing it out with amen? He calls them brethren. He's gone through every point of doctrine that he can concerning this particular issue, all right? This terrible issue which has afflicted the church of Galatia and which afflicts church all over the world right now since Israel's reestablishment, especially since the 1967, they got Jerusalem back and they become a world power and all of a sudden everything Jewish is good, even if it's bad, okay? And we need to be careful to not do that and that is what Paul is saying right here. Just because somebody is Jewish does not mean that they're a specialist in anything theology, all right? And unfortunately, we have taken people in Christianity and we have pegged them on pegs all over our theology that have very, very poor theology. And we've said, he's Jewish, and therefore I'm going to follow him. That is a terrible place to be, okay? Because some of them are actually trying to bring you back under the law. I'll talk about that at the introduction of a sermon coming very soon here, okay? I'll give you a hint if you want to go out and read up on it before we do. It's concerning what is known as the Shemitah, okay? Anybody know what the Shemitah is? It's in Deuteronomy, and we've got a person that's teaching about that right now. He's been doing it for the past 15, 18, 20 years, however long, okay? And his conclusions are appalling, and not only are they appalling, they are damaging, they're heretical. And yet people just buy his books, and you know, I'm gonna lose probably 50 people right now. They're gonna click off and they're gonna say, I'm not gonna listen to Charlie anymore because I like that guy. Terrible theology. Doesn't bother me a bit. I'm gonna to stick to this word, and that's all I'm gonna to stick to. Anyway, we'll be in that sermon pretty soon, okay? Um, <clears throat> where are we? And placing it there is not without purpose. Instead, it is a final note of fellowship to the people that he so cherished and to whom his heart and affections were directed. Despite the temptations of the Judaizers, Paul still considered them brethren and wanted that point highlighted, even at the very last moment of his direct and purposeful epistle. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is one of the greatest concepts found in all of the Bible. Man has fallen and man needs grace for his salvation and for his continued walk with the Lord. Paul asks for this marvelous blessing to be bestowed upon the Galatians. In this petition, it is understood that they are undeserving of it. One cannot merit grace. Therefore, the petition is one of hope that this unmerited favor of the Lord Jesus Christ will continue to be lavished upon them, sinners already saved by that same grace. He's already come to that conclusion by saying that I was there. I was there when you all came to the Lord. Now you want to go back under something else? Don't you remember? Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by faith in Christ? He's saying you're already saved. Okay? So, this grace being unmerited is especially highlighted here for them to consider their position before God. They have been tempted by those who reject Christ. They have been led astray to deeds of the flesh. They have been called to be circumcised by those who boast in the flesh. 
and so on. Paul is reminding them that they stand by grace and that this grace should be with their, as he says, with their spirit. The spirit is the highest part of man. It is the aspect of us which is reconnected to God because of grace and not because of works. Remember, we'll take you back real quickly to Genesis where it says that on the day that you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. die. And then Adam ate of the fruit, and it says in chapter 5 of Genesis that he lived to be 900 and... Anybody? 37. No, 930 years old. You added 7, but that's okay. He was 930 years old when he died. Okay, did God lie? No. no. He died spiritually the moment that he ate of that fruit. And that is the picture of him making these fig leaves to try to cover himself. And the fig in the Bible consistently, you read the Bible from this perspective, it does not mean reestablished Israel. It has nothing to do with Israel. It is a connection to God or a lack thereof. Okay? When you read fig in the Bible, just think of a connection to God and you'll understand what you're reading much better. Okay? So, a reconnection to God. And what did they do? They took fig leaves and they sewed them. They're trying to reconnect to God. They're trying to say, oh, I'm covering my shame by doing this. And he rejected that. The fig leaves were insufficient to do it. Okay? They had to come another way to be reconciled to God. That is the spirit of man being reconnected. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ doing that. Okay? So, they have been called. Uh, they have been led astray. They have been tempted by those who reject Christ. Yes, okay, I want to make sure I got that right. They have been tempted by those who reject Christ. They have been led astray to deeds of the flesh. They have been called to be circumcised by those who boast in the flesh, and so on. Paul is reminding them that they stand by grace and that this grace should be with their spirit, okay? The spirit is the highest part of man. It is the aspect of us which is reconnected to God because of grace and not works. Man spiritually died when Adam disobeyed God. Jesus Christ regenerates our spirit through his work. It's called being born again. Faith in that deed and faith alone is what brings this about. No, it's not the Calvinistic doctrine which says that you are regenerated or born again, and then you believe, and then you're saved. I'm sorry, the Bible does not teach that, okay? You believe, and you were born again, and at that moment, the Holy Spirit seals you, okay? That's the process. Faith in that deed and faith alone is what brings this about. Paul asked them to consider this and let this grace continue to be that which guides their spirit. And with that said, to his brethren in Galatia, he closes with, Amen. So be it. Life application. If you have come to the book of Galatians, read it, contemplate it, and still think that you should be pursuing works of the law in order to make God happy or happier with you, you have a serious issue with understanding the word grace. You may not be saved at all. One cannot earn grace, but can only receive it by faith. And then press on in that grace until his coming again for us. That's all we can do. We can't continue to merit more grace. It is a one-time bestowal, and it is forever. Put away your deeds of the law. Stop trying to earn what is free, and stop sneering at God's offer of peace. Be reconciled to God through the cross of Jesus Christ and nothing more. My friend Isabella Bednara wrote this, and I thought I'd close the book of Galatians with it. I don't wish to be an eagle so majestic and high. I don't wish to be an owl that could see every sight. I don't wish to be a peacock with its colors so bright 
neither a yellow canary with its song-stealing hearts. I'm fine to be a sparrow, insignificant and meek. My feathers are shabby and my beak's not unique. But just the same, I am happy and free, for as all other birds, I get to sit at my Lord's feet. So there you go. That's the book of Galatians. Very thankful for this wonderful word that the Lord has given us. And uh, we uh, have a few minutes left. I, we may not, because if you notice the sign over here, it says Charlie's Pizza and Praise Party. Our friend David O'Neill from Massachusetts sent some money, and he said, I want you to have a pizza party, and we're closing the book of Galatians, so unless you're opposed to pizza tonight, we'll have some pizza here in a few minutes. He should be here any second. But um, we may have time for this, we may not, and if not, then I'll add it in at some point when we do have time. I'm sure he's going to address it in Ephesians. Um, as soon as he walks in, we're just going to stop. But I had a friend ask me to discuss the, the uh, issue of anger. And I'm going to tell you what, anger is something that is just going like this through the world right now. Okay, and there are differences in how we should approach anger. Because the Bible actually says, be angry. Yeah, and do not sin. Okay, so we are to be angry. There are things that we are to be angry about. And I get angry about them every single day. And I bet you you do, and I bet you you do, and I bet you all of you do too. There's one person that's not very political here. But other than that one person, we do tend to see what's going on in the world, and we pay attention to it. And I would almost, at this point, say I'd like to be like the one that's not political because if you start listening to what's going on in the world, all it's going to do is make you angry, okay? And I'd rather not be angry. But if you are listening and you do know what's going on, then we have to show our anger at those things. We cannot be silent on them, okay? And I'm not angry right now that a guy is walking through the door with some pizza. So come on in, come on in. Anyway, um, we'll get that and then uh, we'll get back and we'll finish this in just a minute and we'll talk about it more later. Good evening. Looks like you've got some uh, pizza for us. Thank you. Oh, look at that. This is going to be great. Let me see here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's got his hand in there. Look at that. Look at that. I don't know if you can see it. Oh, they can't see it. I got to pick it up. There we go. Okay, look at that. We got, we got two different pizzas in here. Anyway, really good stuff. Okay, I'll let you put that over there. Don't, don't knock that because that's our streaming device today, unfortunately. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, that looks so good. Smells better. Oh, yeah. It it smells really good. You're venting it out first. Yeah. Okay. Have a great evening. Thank Thank you so much. Say hi to that pretty wife of yours for us. Okay. So um, we'll we'll say before we finish, we will say that uh, uh, we are to be angry and yet not sin. And at the same time, there are certain angers that we need to just put aside. And we need to say, listen, I'm not going to let this control my life. Because when you're angry and you allow yourself to be angry, you know, you're watching the news, we'll say. And you're just, you're, you're getting yourself more angry at what's going on in the world. The only one that's being harmed is you, okay? Mm-hmm. You're the only one that is, uh, nobody else is inside of you. Nobody else is, you know, feeling what you're feeling. They may share in it because you're making them angry, but at the same time, you're the one that's going to suffer because of that. So there is a time to be angry and have righteous indignation, and there's also a time to say, I am not going to let this person ruin my life. I'm not going to let this agenda ruin my life. And the reason why that is is because we have a hope in Jesus Christ. We have something, and I talked about this a little bit earlier, we have something that the rest of the world does not have. Okay, And I don't care if you're sick. I don't care if you're seeing the politics. I don't care if you're uh, losing your house because you've lost your job and you have no money left. And now, you know, we've got a person that attends this church now that lives in a van. Okay, And she's a very happy person. 
She's a wonderful, wonderful soul, okay? And, but she has had some difficult times, okay? As long as you know Jesus, then all of these temporary things are just that. They're temporary. So let your anger go. Stay focused in the word and know that you, as we talked about, you are seated in the heavenly realms with God in Christ right now. This is how God sees you. And that is how you are going to be for all eternity. So instead of focusing on this world and letting these things burn you up and the people around you, focus on that promise. Christ died for you. You have been redeemed and nothing will ever take that away. Focus on that above all else. Focus on other things is fine, but focus on that above all else. We're going to go ahead and close and we'll do something more on anger later because that pizza is really starting to make me hungry. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the book of Galatians. It is such a precious book. It is such a wonderful, wonderful thing that we have here. And uh, we just, I would pray that people, every time they come to this book in the future, would stop and to consider what the words are saying as they go through it so they never get caught up in the legalism that Paul so adamantly writes against, and which he did under inspiration, so obviously it's something that's important to you. You have set this book in your word to show us that we are to cling to the cross of Jesus Christ and to boast in it and to boast in it alone and nothing else. And may that be so in our lives, in our doctrine, and in our hope as we continue on in this life until the day you take us home, whether it be through death or whether it be through the rapture, just help us to focus on that. We praise you and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, now don't get up. I want to turn this around so everybody here can say goodbye. Whoops, my finger. Sorry about that. See if everybody can see. Can you, can you see that? Okay, there we go. All right. Have a great evening. We love you. We hope you have a great night. Take good care. Sorry you get to see my beard there. <laughs>